Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, DMV Hoops fans? Welcome to another Believe in DMV Hoops. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Joining me today, uh, if you're a college basketball fan at any level, I think you know this guy. We've got Tony Skin joining us. Uh, Tony, you were part of one of, I don't know if you guys like the term Cinderella or not, but one of the uh, underdog stories of, of college basketball in the NCAA tournament. And you're now the head, uh, the head coach at your alma mater, George Mason. First of all, thank you for coming on. And second of all, congratulations on the gig. That's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, for having me on, Matt. And, you know, certainly it's been, um, you know, it's been a hell of a ride thus far in the last, you know, six or seven months um, since taking over the program, um, since taking over and having a chance to be um, at the helm of um, my alma mater. It's been unbelievable. Um, it's been a lot of work, but, you know, just glad to be in this position. I think uh, we've done some of your local colleagues on previous episodes here, and, and the overall trend is that a lot of programs locally on the way up, and I think that's definitely the case for you guys too. And uh, just excited to uh, to hear more about that. But first, just a word from our sponsors. We're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and their Surfside Hard Iced Teas, Hard Lemonades, Hard Every Flavor You Can Think Of. They're all delicious. Also brought to you by Also brought to you by Bet Online. It's your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, tennis, UFC, anything you can think of. Bet Online continues right. to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games. Available to play right from your phone. Uh, head to the website today and use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, now that we got those out of the way, uh, I just want to just kind of get into your background here a little bit and how you got into coaching. Did you know as a player that this was something you wanted to do and a, a path that you want to pursue? No, actually, I did not. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, when you're playing – professionally when you're playing overseas um, which I was doing I was going into my seventh and my eighth year um, I was at a really good spot um, as a professional you know just coming off the Olympics uh, which is really really good for me um, and then signing a two-year deal with um, a EuroLeague team in um, in Ukraine uh, Budin Kiev out of uh, Kiev Ukraine and so going into that season you know I was really excited because that was just kind of one of those you know, it was one of those deals where, you know, if you, if you turn the corner, um, you really have a chance to really play and make some really, really good money at mm -hmm. that level in Europe. Um, and so for me, it was kind of an, an, an abrupt um, injury that took place in the Olympics. Um, I had never really been injured before. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was just one of those things where, okay, I'll just shake back and, you know, I got to take the year off or half a season off. Um, but you don't really know the extent of what type of injury that you have, which is what I ended up having. It was a... Um, it was a originally a quad tear, a full quad tear. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of prolonged and led into some other things in the knee. And, you know, as a six foot guard, you know, if you're not running circles around everybody, man, you're, you're pretty much useless out there. And so through that transition, through rehab for about, you know, I would say almost a year and, and some change, you know, my brain really just started to spin a little bit, you know, turning 30, turning 31. Um, it's It's the first time you realize that, you know, basketball could be gone. 
and you got to start thinking about some other things. And um, for me, it was just really just volunteering and trying to kill time while I rehabbed. Mm. Um, I started coaching locally, um, you know, at a middle school, charter school in D.C., not too far away from where I grew up. And, you know, at the time I was just kind of doing some assisting, you know, some athletic director stuff, just involved in athletics and um, coaching wasn't on the wasn't really what I like had envisioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing led to another. I went to an AU practice and I was like, okay, well, I can do this. And once I started to kind of learn the landscape, it was a little fascinating to me because it was just so much different than what I had experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, AAU just took like it, like it just formed into its own. Yeah, um, it took off. Yeah, it just kind of took off in a different direction. And I was just so, um, you know, I was impressed by it and, you know, kind of just jumped into it. And, you know, you fast forward about a year and some change later, um, Eric Conkle, who I had a good relationship with, um, he was kind of my guy at George Mason. Um, we always stayed in contact, you know, through those years of me playing. And um, he gets, we never really talked about it, um, but he gets the job at Louisiana Tech and he calls me to jump, come and join his staff. And um, that was just kind of, you know, it was kind of like I did my part without really knowing I was doing my part and setting sure. myself up. Um, you know, and that was just kind of the, just the transition for me. Uh, you obviously had a, a your own college coach is a pretty good person, uh, a resource to talk to. Was uh, Coach Larinaga involved at all and in, and helping you kind of get established in the industry at all, or, or put in a word for you in places like that? Well, I think it was. It's all part of the same family. You know, Coach Conkle comes from the Coach L tree. Yeah. Um. You know, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It was indirectly with Coach L, just because mm-hmm. you know he um. You know, we had our conversations and, you know, he kind of gave me his two cents. But, you know, now that I just kind of think back, you know, everybody's path into coaching is different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get asked all the time, well, how did you how did you get into coaching? Or I see guys asking other people and it's 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 really hard to say, well, this is the way that you have to get in it. But I think when you have somebody like Jim Larry Nagel, who's got um, success behind him, um, you know, that other people because of that success get opportunities um, and then under that umbrella, under that tree, you know, it creates other opportunities um, for, for for guys like myself. And so yeah, he's always involved some way, some some way or the other, whether it's directly or indirectly. That's pretty cool. Uh, as you started your coaching career was being the head coach at your alma mater on the radar early on. Is that ever something you you aspired to or just sort of uh, this is how it, it wound out? Like, were you building toward this? I guess walk no, us through sort of the. No, the, the you know, I think. You know, I'm very, um, and I've always been like this. I, I've just always been someone who um, I try to remain in the constant as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always try to tell myself when I got into coaching, I can't remember who, who it was. Um, it just told me, man, just be the best assistant coach you can be and just kind of figure everything else out after that. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I would say for, you know, this is only going into my ninth year of coaching. Um, you know, maybe when I first, I would say when I started to just kind of hear people say to me, that's when I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to kind of open my eyes to this thing. But I'm a very firm believer in everything happens for a reason and it happens at the right time. Um, But just putting yourself in that position, you know, obviously I've been very fortunate um, in getting roles that just kind of prepared me for this. Um, Working with Coach Conkle, going over there to work with, you know, Eric, I'm sorry, Kevin Willard over at Seton Hall, getting the chance to go to Columbus to work with Chris Holtman. Um, you know, it was forming into what eventually was going to me getting an opportunity. Um, but even then, it's just very coaching is very, very hard. 
um, and to have the opportunity for your first job to be um, at the A-10 level um, as a head first-time head coach, um, you know, that's really been a blessing for me. But I wouldn't say I had like this thing where I was like keying in on it. Um, I had a chance to be interviewed the first time around when they originally hired Kim English mm -hmm. um, with the previous um, athletic director. And for me, that interview, I know it's a long shot because I, I, I kind of felt like they were a little bit further down the road, but the interview was good for me just to prepare, just to kind of get a feel of what that was. And I think after that interview, which is one of those things where that was kind of where the, the light bulb kind of hit that, hey, you know, maybe the next interview, you know, will be actually, you know, a, a real interview and you just have to be prepared for it. I got to imagine once you start to hear your names and some of those conversations based on the the staffs you worked on, uh, that that's like that moment where you're like, oh, okay, like I, I've got to start thinking about, you know, do I want to take this job? What is the right next job? And uh, obviously, yeah. there's a lot of ties for you to this area, uh, being from this area. And then, um, you know, as far back as you go playing in George Mason, was there any other job here on the radar that that could have uh, swayed you at all here, or is this this the one that came up and this was like uh, too good to pass? No, nah, no, nah, this was this was the one. You know, I um, you know, I left um, Kevin Willard once at Seton Hall. It was a hard leave, sure. um, but Ohio State opportunity. You know, you don't get those type of jobs and those opportunities. He understood it. He blessed it. And then you know the irony of um, you know the basketball gods reconnected us in College Park. And, um, you know, coming off of an NCAA team, NCAA tournament team, um, you know, losing Alabama in the second round, it, you know, it just kind of gave me just, you know, this is where I wanted to be, College Park. Um, you know, me and Kevin Willard, you know, and the rest of that staff, like, you know, it was just such a good thing we had going. So for me, I was just locked in and trying to get the year two. Um, so there, there, I wasn't looking for any other job. I wasn't even thinking about being a head coach and, um, you know, once I started hearing the rumblings of George Mason, it was, it was one of those things where it happened pretty fast. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I knew that I would have an opportunity just given kind of what, you know, what kind of had transpired, you know, just two years prior. And, you know, obviously Kim did good enough of a job where he moved on and um, it kind of created, you know, the opportunity to maybe stay in that lane. Um, and I think that's what leadership decided to do. So. Uh, as a Maryland, Maryland alum, I would like to say thank you for your role and helping get my Terps back uh, where we want to be. But was sad to see you go. Obviously, uh, from our perspective, great to see you move into this position uh, and help kind of bring another program. Uh, Always back a Terp. Yeah, I was a Terp, man. Always a Terp. I love that. Uh, did being back in, in the DMV through for that coaching role kind of help reestablish any ties or relationships you had that you think you can use, you know, here at Mason? Yeah, I think it, you know, um, indirectly, yes. You know, I, I always stayed on um, ground level in the DMV, always staying, trying to stay connected. Um, I wouldn't say I've reestablished any relationships, but um, it does help when, you know, your recruiting trips now are 20, 30, 40 minutes and not necessarily getting on a flight and, um, you know, being just visible again and things of that nature. Um, I, I think it definitely, um, it helped in the sense of, um, you know, now having to put together the type of roster we had to try to put together in April, um, it just it just helped a little bit just because, again, everyone wants to see you win. Everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to support. You know, the beautiful thing about the DMV, there's just so much talent. There's so many good coaches, um, you know, high school coaches, AAU coaches, and you've built those type of bonds and relationships. Um, they essentially want to see you win a little bit more than others. Um, and so getting the job, 
Um, you know, it was um, it was an easy transition for me just because I went from College Park to Fairfax. Um, but essentially, it, it wasn't anything different. And, you know, kind of what's made me successful just on the on the recruiting front. I got you. Uh, you helped Mason kind of get to the peak of their prominence as a basketball program, I would say. Final Four is pretty darn good. I hard to beat that. How do you get this program back to where, you know, every, I think everybody a part of the program thinks it can be back to being a, a tournament contender and, and things like that? Like, what's, yeah, I think, what's the difference? I, yeah, I think in all, in all fairness, you know, what we did was, um, you know, it was amazing. Um, it, it was it was historic, um, and it's really really hard to, you know, as fans as 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 alumni, you know, the nostalgia is going to always be there, and that's the norm, especially at this level. Um, but I think what people need to understand is how hard it is oh, sure. um, to, to 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 not only make the NCAA tournament, but to win games in the NCAA tournament, and then to turn around and and be consistent in doing it in such a good league like the A10. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think my, my number one goal for one is to, you know, we got to be able to keep the best players at our level at home from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and then we just have to be consistent in doing so. And I think with that type of talent, uh, with those type of players, um, you know, you have a chance and all you can do is ask for having a chance, but obviously we have to compete our butts off. Um, uh, we have to be consistent in, in the way we fight and how hard we play. Um, but I do think that given, um, you know, given those possibilities of being able to win some of these recruiting battles that, you know, Mason might have lost in the, in the last couple of years or so, um, I think that does give us the edge. Um, and I do think that just having um, somewhat of what kind of made us successful um, with myself being here, it's not that's not the answer to all of it. Um, but I do think just overall, it gives us a better chance than we've probably had in, in, in a long time. It doesn't hurt to start with uh, a really good returning point guard and, and Ronald Polite. Uh, honestly, this is a guy that could be a 10 player of the year. If he has the the type of year that I think he's capable of. Uh, how do you, I guess, how did you go about keeping him uh, in, in Fairfax? Like I'm assuming that was probably one of your first couple calls. So what's the conversation like? What, what do you guys talk through in those kind of situations? Yeah, it was very, you know, he, he, he did his research as most point guards do. I love that. Um, and I think he, he was, he was impressed, or I wouldn't even say impressed. He he was willing to at least give me a listen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my hat my hat goes off to him, Dev Dinkins, um, and also Malik, just because I mean, those guys in this day and age, you know, naturally, you know, they leave. You know, you know, him and Malik would have been, I'm their fourth coach, or I'm the third coach, I should say. Yeah. Um, and that is very, very rare in this in this landscape. Um, and so my phone's call, my phone call to him was just like, hey, man, listen, the easiest thing to do right now is um, is to leave. It's like you'll get calls from everywhere. Um, but then you're going to go into a situation where you know nothing about um, a coach you know nothing about, a system you know nothing about, a culture you know nothing about. You know, look around the room here, man. It's an empty, you know, it's an empty, it's an empty locker room. But, you know, statistically speaking, production-wise, there couldn't be a better person Um that could take advantage of this current situation. And more than anything, you know, I want you to put your recruiting hat on and and, and think about some local guys that you respect, some guys that you have some relationships with, and let's go build around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's such a good kid, man. It, it was not a, it was not a very hard conversation. I didn't walk away from my initial conversation. Like, man, I got to keep recruiting this kid. Right. I was able to focus, but, you know, 
have a few conversations with him, but it wasn't, it wasn't like I was begging him to stay. Like I kind of felt like he wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he decided to do. And I think that, you know, that him standing down alone is what gave, um, you know, both Malik um, and Dev just kind of the same thought process. Like it's easy to leave and, and go somewhere, but, you know, this is kind of where, um, you know, I think that when it's all said and done, this was going to be their best opportunity. I think that's probably another really good story to tell future recruits too, that, Hey, these guys had other opportunities and they wanted to stay here with us. They liked where they were. This says a lot about George Mason as a university. So, um, that that's all good for building for the future. I would imagine. And, and yeah, Luke Henry's sure. another good one. Uh, you mentioned there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, Malik was, Malik's been a victim a little bit of a really, really good player. Yeah. in um, Josh. in Joshua Durham, yeah. you know, some people, you know, you look at a kid like that. I remember when I watched film on those guys and I watched some of his clips, I was like, man, this kid is bouncy. This kid's athletic. I, you know, he has a good body, a good frame. You know, he should have played more. But then I'm like, well, he's playing behind arguably the best big in the league. Right. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in all fairness to Malik, man, you know, he's going to have a chance to show that this year. Um, and, you know, he's been, you know, one of our hardest workers. He's been one of our best leaders. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to just kind of see, um, you know, his growth and his jump this year. There's a lot of new faces on this roster too. I got a quote from you here. I don't want to read you back to you, but just for yeah. listeners, uh, it says, um, as with anything you do for the first time, there's some butterflies meshing 10 new guys is always challenging, but that's the landscape. That's where everyone is at. And I think that's so true. You look at a lot of the other a 10 rosters, six, seven, eight, you know, new guys, you guys are definitely on, on the high end of that was that um just sort of how it lucked out with the way uh the roster from last year played out and turned over was that some of that intentional on your part to bring in more transfers than freshmen like i guess walk us through kind of the roster building yeah i mean yeah i think that um you know when 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 i got the job again it was easier to 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 get some guys to stay and a little bit harder to do the same Mm -hmm. um with with i was confident that with what we had to do uh, we were going to figure it out. Um, I was very confident in that once I put my staff together, uh, there were there were a lot of, you know, phone conversations that were being had through just even through the hiring process. And, you know, in this business, if if you're waiting until you get a job to now start putting your roster together, you're done for. You have no chance. Um, and so those conversations were being had, and it was just more so about, you know, finding the type of balance and positionally who you could bring in um, obviously, we're having Ronald Polite at, at, at your um, your lead guard. You knew that, you know, you could kind of focus a little bit around some other positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just started just just kind of like a domino effect of maybe one of the guys that could have came back, went on a visit somewhere else because they were on a visit. But then we brought somebody in and they decided to come in and we just really chipped away. It wasn't, you know, I, it, it was it was intentional in um, in in the number of players types of guys you brought in and stuff too well i would say number wise like we knew we had to get to between anywhere between seven to nine maybe even ten depending on who decided to leave and stay we had a couple guys that just decided to go in a different direction late Hmm. and so we were always on the hunt um i think there was room to keep some of those guys so we just kind of had some flexibility man but the more and more we started piecing this thing together it was more so like you know I was glad that we had that cap space because I really do think that um, we got better. You know, that's just the honest truth and that's the business. And sometimes it doesn't always work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were able to do 
what we needed to do. And my staff was unbelievable the way that, you know, they hit the ground running and we're able to get some good pieces that, you know, as, as nervous as I was after that press conference and then going in my office and, you know, looking at my roster and my depth chart, like, okay, now the honeymoon's over. Like we got to feel, you know, I want to compete in year one. I don't want to just, you know, go out there and not compete. And um, we were able to piece this thing together. And I truly believe that we, um, you know, we over, we over, you know, we over exceeded and overachieved probably what people would have thought we would have been able to bring in that late and with that um, uh, number of uh, scholarships. I think one of the things basketball fans like myself maybe underrate a little bit is just those recruiting relationships and how long those stick around beyond just sort of where the guy initially chooses to go to school. So I would imagine a lot of these um, guys that ended up transferring in here were people that you had previous relationships with and you were able to recruit other places or at least your staff was. No, absolutely. That that was the um, the excitement of getting this job was as excited as I was, you know, people that you've built relationships with over time, especially in the DMV, they're just as excited. And some of those people are mom and dads, they're high school coaches, they're, they're you know, AAU coaches and, you know, kid leaves, you know, a certain program and you get the job and it's like, hey, man, like, what are we doing? And especially when you have them, when you have those relationships and you've kind of gone down this line before, it makes it a little bit easier in the recruiting process um, to actually win those battles. Cause these were guys, some of these guys came from, you know, the power five and they were being recruited by the power five and to be able to win those battles. Um, it was, it was a good feeling. Uh, get old and stay old is something that we hear a lot in college basketball these days. A lot of those transfers that you brought in are older veteran guys. Was that sort of an intentional choice uh, to pick guys that could come in and ready to be, you know, be ready to help you from day one? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I didn't get into this thing to, um, you know, play make believe as far as what the expectation is, is. Is I learned that last year at Maryland. Right. You know, we we took that job over, and I think a lot of people were just expecting us to, um, you know, compete and and kind of figure things out in year one, just because we didn't have, you know, with with the exception of one or two pieces, we weren't very old. We didn't really like, you know, kill it in the transfer market or in the portal. Um, you know, but we put together a competitive team that, you know, once we got to coaching those guys up, they played their, you know, they played their butts off and, you know, the results show it, I kind of had that same, um, you know, thought process and piecing this thing together. And yes, I wanted to be older. Um, cause if you're going to throw a bunch of new guys out there, man, they better have some sort of, um, you know, <laughs> some sort of understanding what the expectation is. Um, like they've been through the rigor before. These are guys that have been, you know, in college for three, four, five years, they've been a part of other programs. They know what winning looks like. They know what losing looks like. And, you know, like I said, we were able to get, um, you know, the right balance of guys that have kind of been through this. And, you know, I wanted to stay away from freshmen as much as possible, but we ended up getting two really good freshmen in Austin Ball mm-hmm. um, and Baraka Koji. Um, two pieces from a, from a freshman standpoint that, you know, that late, you know, obviously we're able to retain Austin because he had uh, committed to the previous staff, but, you know, it doesn't get any better than those two guys bringing them in as freshmen. And then everyone else, you know, like you mentioned, these are guys that have played at least two or three years in college. And I, did, I think that just helps you with your connectivity a little bit more, especially with 10 new guys or really 13 because the other three haven't played with the other nine, mm-hmm. nine or 10. Um, but just being a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little bit more experienced, it definitely helps you with um, your connectivity. You mentioned some of these guys were originally recruited by Power Five schools, and 
you know, they probably all got something to prove. It either didn't work out as well as they would have liked in that first stop. So you're bringing in veteran guys that, you know, have something to show everybody. I would imagine that that's making for some uh, pretty competitive battles and, and letting guys try to earn different spots and earn different minutes, you know, even just from the get-go of practice here. Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, I think that, um, you know, you have some guys that drop down, I guess you could say, from the power five level, whatever you want to say. But, mm-hmm. you know, the A-10 is so respected. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, yes, I do got a couple guys that are playing with, you know, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, you know, you're talking, you know, starters, like guys that started at the power five level. So they're no slouch by any means. Um, you know, Woody Newton started, you know, 75% of, um, his games last year at Oklahoma state, you know, Darius Maddox, you know, prior to this previous season where he had some personal issues, you know, he made almost 63s as a sophomore and really, you take away some of his personal issues this year, you know, maybe that's 70 or 83. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got guys like that that were being re-recruited to go back power five. Sure. Um, and anytime you can get guys like that to come and play in the A-10, which is a really, really good league, um, you know, it's it's uh, I'm excited about that. If I remember correctly, you were a transfer yourself. Uh, does that help you from an insight process, kind of helping these guys acclimate? And Or is it so different these days? Like, I, I guess, I don't know. Is there any leg up there by having gone through that? Nah, you know what? Ye- yes and no. Um, yes and no. Just from the standpoint of, you know, my, me transferring. You know, I went to junior college. Hmm. Um, I went from one junior college to another. Um, but then my three years at Mason, obviously, you know, I started it and I finished it. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but I do think that, you know, there's a common denominator here where it's, it's in the day and age that we're in, you know, there's really no excuses because change is normal. Um, that's just what it's become. That's what, you know, in the past you would transfer somewhere and then you'd have to sit out. And so the portal didn't really exist because of that. But now that we're in portal land, um, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say there's any type of, um, you know, similarities in the way I transferred compared to this, you know, this day and age. And I don't have any junior college guys either. So um, not, not, not a lot of similarities there. That's right. Uh, one guy we haven't mentioned so far, Jared Billups, transferring in from Siena. That's Chauncey's cousin. Uh, and kind of built bigger, stockier guard like Chauncey, you know, got a frame to him. Do they play at all similarly? Uh, not to put those kind of expectations. You know what? You learn, you learn something new every day because I did not know that. <laughs> oh, that's what my research showed at least if uh if i screwed this one up you'll have to l- get back to me and let me know yeah bit. i mean you got some you got some recruiting in you man because typically i'm good at this stuff and obviously i think i might have thought about it maybe once early on in the recruitment like hey his last name's billups i wonder if he's related to chauncey we never asked never got to it he doesn't talk about it but that's good to know yeah um, so, so food for thought for later then. yeah food for thought well i'll tell you one thing now it makes sense because he's he's probably arguably um, one of the toughest guys we have on this roster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, you know, we were talking about him today where it's like he could go, you know, a few minutes, a few possessions without really scoring the basketball, but his presence is always felt. You feel um, him out there, right? Now. Yeah. I mean, he's flying around out there defensively. You know, you know, he's built like a, he's built like a cornerback. Um, you know, he's talking, you know, he's getting at it both on both ends of the floor. You know, we live off deflections and, you know, I was just telling um, one of the coaches might have said, like, you know, uh, Jared's got seven deflections, like 20 or 30 minutes into practice. And I was like, yeah, Jared, that's not the guy that I'm going to be worried about at halftime because mm-hmm. we'll we'll chart deflections and we'll go in there at halftime and kind of look at that as the parameter of who's active and who's not. 
Um, it's also a parameter for me to choose somebody out that's out there just doing absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, but Jared Phillips is the guy I'm not worried about at halftime because of how hard he plays and um, his competitive spirit. But yeah, he's, you know, again, I, you know, Chauncey Billups was that big point guard. Uh, obviously, uh, Jared isn't playing the point, um, but he's got the same toughness. He's got the same um, mindset that I think that, you know, that last name definitely resembles. I like that. If I screw that one up, I'm going to feel bad about it, but I'm glad there's at least some similarities. Uh, one of the common themes we've mentioned here a little bit with a lot of your personnel is athletic guys, you know, physical. Uh, I think that seems like something you intentionally tried to recruit for uh, with, with the portal here. Was that an emphasis for you all? Yeah, was it was. That- it was. With the, with the way I want to play, um, the way I want to defend, you know, we're going to press. Um, you've got to have some athleticism out there. You've got to have some length. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to have some twitch. Um, and we catered and recruited to that. You know, obviously, you know, once we started piecing this thing together a little bit more and more, we were being a little bit more um, just catering to like kind of what the fit was. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a need initially, obviously, with, you know, that many scholarships. Sure. But once we got a little bit better and filled those numbers out, it, beca- it became more of a fit. Um, and getting guys like Jared, getting guys like Nico from Central, um, from Central Michigan, um, getting Baraka, who's a fast twitch, fast twitch guy. Even Trey Wood, who's been in college for five years, but he's dynamically like fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting guys like that, I definitely we were catering towards, um, you know, what we want to do offensively and defensively, which is getting after it. I think that also, uh, yeah, offensively, you mentioned that it's probably a lot of finishers and transition, and, and there's somebody for uh, Ronald to to be setting up uh, as you you know run secondary break and things like that. Um, I would say the one question mark, and maybe not for you guys seeing them every day, but from the outside looking in is maybe the perimeter shooting. Mm-hmm. Are there any guys that, um, you know, maybe didn't hit a ton of threes in their last, you know, college stop, but you've already been impressed by like, Oh, this guy is going to be a much better shooter than the numbers have told so far. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, got to give some credit to some of these guys that I haven't mentioned. Um, you know, Keyshawn Hall is a kid that we got from UNLV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who was playing at, you know, 280 plus pounds. He's a completely different looking human being now. He's down to 230, mm-hmm. maybe even 225. I'm trying to get him back to 230 because, you know, he's such a physical um, combo forward that can play on the perimeter and play around the rim. You know, I'm trying to just tell him, listen, I, I need you with some shoulder pads so you can go down there and not get hurt. And so, you know, he's a kid that made, um, he didn't take a ton, um, but he made 10 out of 23s in the minutes that he played as a freshman. So if he was as a, as efficient as you're going to be um, given his field goal attempts from three and um, through the summer, you know, up until, you know, our second week of practice now, you know, he's right up there with some of our better shooters. That's great. Um, you know, he can really shoot the basketball, especially at his position, having somebody who can be a threat um, both inside and out, you know, it's been, um, I've been impressed. I would say for sure. Um, he's a guy to look out for. And Austin Ball can really shoot it. Um, you know, he's a guy when he's got his feet set and he has the time and space, like it's 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 money ball. Devin Dickens has shown, you know, in practice and some of our drills that he can really, really shoot the ball. And so I think from a perimeter standpoint, it's about just kind of getting these guys in their spots, um, getting them playing with confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously Darius Maddox is gonna be a guy that can stretch the floor. Um, you know, Mark Kelly, you know, he's a he's a you know combo, you know, five man that could potentially play a four. Um, he's up there knocking some shots down. You know, again, you're talking about guys that, you know, are green light shooters, but some guys that are, you know, yellow light shooters, time and space, you know, they have the opportunity to shoot and make those shots. 
yeah, you just need a couple guys to give you just enough room to do the other things you want to do. And um, even if you can piece that together with whoever's hot on a particular night, I think it allows you to to go out and do the defensive stuff that that you yeah. want to get done there too. Uh, I have seen some predictions or projections that have you guys in the bottom half of the A10. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at this roster, I, I don't really see how personally, uh, just given some of the names we've already talked about there. Is that something you guys pay attention to at all other than just for bulletin board material? Nah, for me that, you know, you know, I'm gonna set the tone with what the expectation expectation is in in in, in that locker room. Mm-hmm. Um and for me, you know, all that stuff is nice and fancy and it's cool for the people that write it and predict it and you know, gather all their information, however which way they gather their information. But you know, my biggest thing is for my team and those guys, man, control what you can. Yeah. Um, control what you can, go out there and fight, go out there and and and, and compete. And a lot of times that stuff takes care of itself. Um, so for me, it's not, you know, I'm glad that we were picked there, I guess you could say, you know, cause I don't think, you know, I don't think a lot of people really know what this team is and how they, it was built. Um, you know, but that's neither here or there. And, you know, we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out. It's probably something a little fun to being able to get to prove everybody wrong too. I'm sure that's something the kids can get behind. Yeah, so. yeah for sure. I mean, and, and, and it's the norm. You hear about it all the time. And, you know, the amount of times that that 13th team or that 12th team ends up overexceeding. No one ever talks about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, that just puts puts a lot more pressure on some other folks than it does, you know, George Mason. Yep, like that. Uh, one person we haven't mentioned, we talked a little bit about your staff here, but Lamar Butler is also with you. How is that to just have uh, somebody? I'm, I'm sure you've known him for even longer than you guys were at Mason together. I can imagine you probably played in, in similar circles growing up too, like, yeah. What's that like to have somebody, you know, with that kind of track record, um, a friendship? Or, no, it's or, been, it's been, it's been great, man. It's been all part of it, man. You know, sometimes, um, things just move so fast and you don't get a chance to like really take it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find the days to reflect on different things, but, um, you know, I think one of the, um, most satisfying things is really just having, um, a chance to, you know, Lamar kind of set himself up. He put himself in position, um, you know, he's at Paul the six. Um, the last couple of years at St. John's prior there and um, coaching AAU as well. And so he's been um, he's been as tied in in the grassroots as anybody else. And so when I got this opportunity, as I was trying to put my staff together, um, I knew I was going to have a, a, a place for him, which is what I know he was working towards. And so anytime that you're able to create that opportunity um, for somebody, let alone somebody that you went to war with um, that represents the university, um, you know, it's definitely been a blessing to just kind of see him um, working alongside with him and just kind of see him get, you know, his foot in the door and really learning um, and growing in his role. And, you know, he's been he's been remarkable in his role. You're kind of more than just a basketball coach in your role. You're also the CEO of an organization here, yeah. essentially, and uh, getting boosters excited and alums excited. Big part of the job. And I would imagine that's probably easier to do given the track record that you and, and somebody like Lamar have, um, you know, with the organization. Yeah, no, that's been, you know, every time I go somewhere and I run into somebody, man, and you know, they're like, you know, it's like the same question, like, Hey man, how, you know, how's it been, man? Now that you're, you know, in that first seat and I, you know, at George Mason, I said, listen, man, I I would hate to be anybody else that's going somewhere else um, for their first job. And, you know, selling a place, it sounds good when you're selling that place because you're trying to recruit a kid, but you don't really know that place. Um, and so being here at George Mason, it's been it's been tremendous just because, you know, like you said, those same um, that same support system, 
um, those same alumni, those same faces are are still here. And it's made my transition so much easier. Um, and really just one less thing to have to um, sweat about um, for my first job because this is home. Um, you know, those people are still here and it's just, it's always good to see familiar faces and makes it a little bit easier to just kind of focus on some of the more necessary things because at the end of the day, um, you know, that everybody just wants to see, um, you know, you successful. You know, you're, you're a person too. So having to come to a new place, it's, you've got a family life and all these things and a personal life to deal with. So not having to learn a totally new area, I'm sure it just saves you a lot of time to focus on the stuff that that's really important to you. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been awesome, man. Just, um, you know, I didn't buy a house when we got to Maryland cause I wanted to take my time and, you know, that was one of the best decisions I've made, you know, now that I'm able to come to George Mason, I was able to get out of that and the transition right on over to Fairfax. And so it's been smooth, man. It's been really smooth. That's great. Uh, we mentioned the Olympics early on. You were one of two African-born head coaches in Division One college hoops. Uh, you are born in Nigeria, played for the Nigerian Olympic team. That's also a program that's looking pretty good for the future. Have you had any talks with them about being involved at all uh, moving forward? Oh, yeah. I'm, out, I'm actively involved with um, the Nigerian Federation. Okay. Um, you know, I've been asked to coach, you know, over the years. Mm. You know, it's just been logistically very difficult for me because I've <laughs> You know, I've transitioned now three straight years from Seattle to Columbus, from Columbus to Maryland, and Maryland to College Park. So it's been difficult. Um, you know, I'm on a group chat with about 30 plus guys that you know played together. Mm. And on the last, it was now, I guess now it's the last because I went to 12, 16. They postponed 20. Um, I guess the last two or three Olympic teams now, just a bunch of different guys that are you know, either retired or still playing currently at a high level in Europe or even a couple of guys in the NBA. And so we had these conversations all the time. Um, and I think if the right situation came up and it fit, um, you know, it fit with my schedule, you know, it's something that I would definitely love to um, be a part of, but um, I am indirectly still a part of it. That's awesome. Uh, also another fun fact here that uh, your athletic comps department of private myths, so shout out Mark for the, the Intel here. Um, you're uh, the only school in the country with uh, head coach and AD that both played in a final four, uh, you and, and Marvin Lewis, who he played at Georgia tech. Is that something uh, that kind of bonds you guys together, having that, that kind of experience or what it could, could look like, or have you even talked about that with him? No, that's it's, it's, it is, it is. It's really, um, it's pretty cool, man. You know, I know I've known Marvin now for, you know, decades because he played, you know, at Montrose Christian, I played at Tacoma Academy. And so, we actually played and competed against each other. Oh, cool. um, you know, we've known each other through the business. You know, I had a chance to interview at Georgia Tech when he was down there. Um, and just to see this kind of full circle, it's made, you know, it's made everything so smooth from a transition standpoint, just because, you know, when you have an athletic director that gets it, that's a basketball guy, um, a lot of conversations are just so easy to just get through. Um, and yes, it makes, you know, Marvin, most people might not remember or might not know. I mean, Marvin was a really, really good player on a team that almost won a national championship. Um, he's a really, really good shooter. And, you know, anytime that you have that, um, you know, kind of that connection, you know, it's definitely special. And, um, yeah, I'd love to challenge any college coach in the country, any athletic director in the country, you know, if they want to get a little two on two going, man, I, I you know, I, I, I'll put my money where my mouth is with my athletic director. I would not bet against you guys. I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good call there. Uh, I really rooted for you guys in that final four run, um, just as a local team, even as a Maryland alum, especially against that UConn team for whatever reason, you know, they were just sort of like the bullies on the block to yeah. root against. Um, 
not to focus on the, the negative part of this, I guess, but does it make it worse to lose to the team that eventually wins or knowing that Florida went on to win back to back? Does that make it a little easier to say like, all right, they were just kind of a, a really, no, nah, it, doesn't, it doesn't make it any easier, man. Because, <laughs> okay. You know, as I look back at it, you know, I think, they still feel like we could have beat them. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, they were the better team that night, but that's the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, but it does feel good to just know, you know, again, you look at, if you look at that final four and you look at the other side of the bracket, um, I believe it was UCLA and LSU. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was like a complete, like, I think it was like a blowout in that game. Yeah. And then I think that the championship game, our year was also then a blowout. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, you know, you can't control um, some of those outcomes, but we definitely, I think we were a possession or two away from turning the game back into kind of what, where we wanted it from a pressure standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but credit to them, man, they didn't, you know, they, they, there's a reason why they won two in a row. You know, there's a reason why they got, you know, there's still one or two guys that was on that team that's still playing in the NBA. They were that good. Um, they were that well coached, um, you know, but you know, everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And that was just, that was kind of our fate. And, you know, we weren't supposed to be there. And so to have, um, you know, to look back at it and say, you know, we were 12 minutes away from winning the national championship, or at least having a chance, you know, you can't ask, you can't ask for more than that. I think from an outsider perspective here, it seems like there's a reasonable amount of luck involved with some of this stuff. You need the the right matchup sometimes, the right health, the just honestly, the NCAA committee sometimes to pick you based on a resume that's you know, you never know where you fit in. There were people that said maybe you guys shouldn't have even made it that year and then look how far you went. So um, do you ever think about that as a coach at all? Just sometimes you need certain breaks along the way. Like someone like Coach Laranego, he probably wasn't a better coach a month after that tournament than he was a month before, but everybody looks at him so differently. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we had a lot of haters. You know, we had a lot of a lot of schools that didn't think we deserved it, but um, that's what it is every single year. You know, you get some teams that should have been in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, that choice of that committee, that's just completely up to them and how they kind of pick those teams. And uh, we were a really, really good team that year. You know, some people forget, you know, yes, the CAA was a one-bid league, um, but we were top 25 for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a chance to go on the road back then when, you know, the bracket busters was a thing. It was the battle of the mid-majors. Yeah. Um, that doesn't even exist anymore. But we went to a Wichita State team um, that doesn't lose very much in their backyard. Um, that atmosphere was just as good as any other atmosphere I've ever been, um, a part of and to go in there and, and, and get that win. Um, you know, I think that just showed the type of team that we were, um, you know, we didn't have a great weekend in, in, in the tournament in our conference tournament, but you know, that's what happens. Um, but from a statistical standpoint, um, you know, we were one of the best teams defensively. And so I think the NCAA, they, they look at those things and while fans, the average fan might be you know, uneasy or unhappy about, you know, who's picked and why they were picked. I think when we were picked and we went out there and, and competed, we showed why we belonged in the NCAA tournament. So I would say for, you know, the 2006 year, um, the committee made the right decision. Yeah, you proved them right for that one for sure. Uh, I think that's a cool thing about the A-10 too for you guys is you might have an off year as a league every once in a while where maybe it is only one big league just because some things don't break the right way, but I can't imagine that that happens very often. So you're not totally reliant on winning that tournament. Like if you are one of the best four teams in that league, you got a good shot at um, 
you know, playing in the NCAA tournament. Is, is that kind of a nice perk of going somewhere like this? Granted, you've also got to play a lot tougher people every week too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, you know, it's a different league, man. And, you know, a 10 has always been a, you know, historically a, a multi-bid league, you know, multiple teams, three, four, I think even one year, there was like talk of like five teams getting in. Yeah. Um, and so, like you said, it's just a little bit of, um, if you look at last year where, you know, it was just one team, you know, you're probably talking, you know, maybe 10, 15 point difference collectively um, of it being now two teams, you know, maybe even three teams. And so that's just what that's just what college basketball has become. Um, and I think that, you know, with with with, you know, the 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 amount of new coaches that are experienced in this league, obviously, with the exception of myself, I think you have a chance to see the A-10 be what it what it was before. Um, this is as strong as I think it's not, as I look at some of the rosters, I'm now starting to study the league. There's some really, really good players in this league. Um, and hopefully with scheduling and a little bit of luck, um, we're able to kind of get back to what I think everybody expects the A-10 to be. That's great. Um, your Mason team that made the final four run, was there any one thing from that team that you guys just seemed to gel at the right time and really fit together? Was there, is there any kind of guiding principle that you've taken from that experience that you kind of put into what you look for in a roster and how you build a roster? Yes. It's, um, you know, it's, it's obviously a competitive um, spirit that you have to have collectively. Um, but even within that competitive spirit, um, the sense of, of, of togetherness was something that we had that um, I just know um, it was a huge piece of who we were. Um, and I always give him credit, you know, Gabe Norwood, who was kind of like our sixth man, um, you know, stepping in my place um, when I, you know, had to sit against uh, Michigan State in that first round game. Um, a guy who could have easily stepped in, he saved the day, you know, he could have easily gone into game two, um, you know, against North Carolina, just been like, man, we just made history, man. Who cares about T-Skin? Um, Gabe Norwood didn't do that. Gabe Norwood spread it into the locker room and wrote, you know, Tony is back. Um, and to this day, you know, that's who he was as a person. It wasn't just that game. It's been always like that. Um, but that type of togetherness is what made us who we were um, because we all had moments through the season where we all had to kind of sacrifice something. Um, and, you know, that's something that I'm just trying to get my guys to understand that, you know, you know, sometimes it's you, you know, sometimes it's me. But, you know, it's always us at the end of the day. And, and any good team is going to have – uh, multiple guys that step up on on different nights. And, you know, I think we're starting to buy into that, um, you know, day by day here at uh, George Mason. That seems like a great takeaway, given the roster that we already talked about here. There's, there's a lot of guys there that are capable and, and just knowing that they're going to all get opportunities is, is probably a, a thing that everybody needs to hear uh, every once in a while. Uh, just kind of shifting gears here a little bit. We talked about your pro career here a little bit. Uh, I think everybody that's played overseas has at least a couple of good stories. Do you have one good overseas story you'd be willing to share with us? You know, every time I I get asked this question, I'm like, I need to just have one story ready. <laughs> you gotta have so a go-to, yeah. So I can be consistent, man. But I mean, I've had so many. I've had so many. I mean, I had so many really, really good memories. Um, you know, I played my first three years. I played in France. You know, that was a really, really good experience, and I had a chance to go to you know Italy, Germany, Israel. Um, for entertainment purposes, I'm just trying to think what's what's a good story to uh man, I had so many. <laughs> um well I, I played in I played in Israel. Um one of my favorite countries that I played in actually. I played in Ashkelon, which is 
Um, Israel's not a very big country. Um, and Ashkelon is at the north of Israel, um, very, very close to the Gaza Strip. Um, and if you know anything about, um, you know, that side of the world, you know that the Gaza Strip is 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 basically like an invisible wall that separates basically um, two countries. And, um, you know, when I got there, there were these rooms in our apartments. And I say our apartments, you know, the Americans. Mm-hmm. And it was like a safe room. And they didn't really give us instructions on um, on what to do with these safe rooms. And so I just remember sitting in my apartment one day and then I heard these alarms. And the alarms was like really, really, really loud. Sure. And, um, you know, I called my teammates. No one's picking up the phone. I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. And I end up just going on the internet. You know, this is this is right around the time that Google started answering everything for everybody. Nice. And uh, I just remember just Googling it. And it was basically like, you know, that's the that's the sirens when, you mm-hmm. know, there's some, you know, rocket warfare going back and forth. And you're supposed to go into your safe room. Again, we were very, very close to the strip. Wow. And, um, you know, in my mind, I started freaking out. You know, you read the news and you watch TV from the States and you read all these things. You're, you're like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? And I just remember just going in the safe room and, I, and the sirens was probably only like five or 10 minutes. But I think I might have stayed in there like 30 minutes just to be sure. sure. And, um, you know, just kind of coming out of there. And then, like, I think I went straight to my gym and, um, you know, here, here are my Israeli teammates. They're just like in there shooting around like nothing ever happened. And yeah. I explained to them what had happened. And they're like, oh, man, it's nothing. You know, just just keep just keep on keeping on. I'm like, yeah, that's not really what Google says. But um, that was an interesting um, experience. But nevertheless, I mean, I've had so many, man. I've had so many. My time in, you know, in all those countries and some of the people that I played with, it was definitely um, you know, it was, it was a good experience. I asked Jerome Dyson, uh, for any other local bis- or local basketball fans that know, remember Jerome that played. Yeah. Jerome, Jerome, UConn, Jerome Dyson. Yeah. yeah, yeah he, told, he told almost that exact same story about he was eating a meal and the sirens went off and he just dropped everything and ran and everyone else stayed at the restaurant on the beach and kept doing their thing and yeah, yeah, that down in the bunker. About, yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty funny. Um, if someone, uh, is listening to this and has never been to a Georgia Mason game before. What's the sales pitch? What are they missing out on by not having uh, come seen you guys play in the past and, and uh, you know, come to see you guys in the future? Yeah, no, I think the goal is to, um, you know, we obviously want to bring um, excitement back to Eagle Bank Arena. I think we have the potential to turn this thing um, into, you know, I wouldn't even say what it once was, but I think part of the reason we were successful is, is, is because we had the support. Um, and Mason's really become... Um, this has become a different university um, than it was when we were here. And I just feel as though like, you know, our guys that are that are busting their butts every single day, they need that support. Um, and with the type of talent that we've put together, I think people are going to be very, very surprised at, at how hard we play um, and the tenacity that we play with. Um, and I'm just hoping that people just can come out and support. You know, it's a, uh, you know, it's Fairfax, man. This is a, this is a non-football school um, and, and basketball is it. And uh, we've got we've got a ten thousand seat arena. We'd love to fill that out, um, and just you know, our guys are going to play hard. They're going to be consistent. They're going to fight, um, and you know, it's it's uh, it's um, there's never been a better time to become a George Mason Patriot because I think we got something going. 
I love that. I mean, I think it's uh, early for folks to get in here on the uh, Tony Skin, George Mason bandwagon, and this is the right <laughs> time to do it. You guys can say you're getting on on the ground floor. So if you're listening to this, make sure you get out to a game. I definitely plan on doing that this season. Uh, Tony, last question I got for you. Is there anything uh, you can tell us about you that maybe people don't know off the court, a guilty pleasure TV show or music artist or any of that kind of thing? Oh, man. Um Anything interesting. I don't think I'm a very interesting person outside of being just a dad and a basketball coach. Um, that's a good one. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an advent tea drinker. Oh, there you go. What kind of tea? <laughs> Any tea, you know, Moroccan mint, um, black tea. You know, I like to put some honey in my tea, put some, uh, some lemon in there. Um, but I drink probably three or four cups of tea every single day. Wow. Um, but I don't think that's very interesting. <laughs> as much yelling as you guys have to do over loud opposing crowds and stuff, I'm sure the tea comes in handy so you can actually talk the next day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, that, I think that's uh, but I, it's probably, um, yeah, I don't know. It's not not really much. Um, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty boring guy. I love that man. Just keep kicking ass on the basketball court. I think that's a pretty <laughs> good thing to uh, to focus a lot of time on. No, absolutely. Uh, Tony, anybody you want to shout out here that maybe doesn't get the uh, credit they deserve with the program and the work that they do, that uh, this is an opportunity to give them a little love? Oh, man, who am I allowed to shout out is the question. Anybody you these want. Things get, these things get they, they get tricky sometimes with who you can acknowledge and who you can't. Um, no, I think I would like to just, you know, from, from, a, from an overall umbrella, man, I would like to say um, to my players, um, you know, that I am thankful for those guys. Um, those guys made a commitment to – um, jumping on board with, you know, when you go against these other coaches in a recruiting battle, the easiest thing to say is, why would you want to go play for that guy? You know, he doesn't, he's never done it before. There's a lot of uncertainty. So um, for my players, you know, for, 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 for starters, you know, I'm thankful for those guys because we're going to go, we're going to go to war together. Um, and that level of commitment that they gave me from day one is something that, you know, I'm always going to remember. And then, you know, my staff, man, my staff has been, um you know, my complete staff, um, they've been, they've been remarkable, you know, putting that staff together, um, that high level, you know, that, um, that experience coming from the places that they came from, you know, typically you don't, you know, cause coach, getting good coaches is like recruiting, you know, you got to be able to sell them on leaving mm-hmm. certain places that, you know, I mean, Steve Kern left St. Bonaventure for Christ's sake, you know, a program that's been really, really successful. You know, Mike Econom was, you know, on his way to, an NCAA turn every team of a program because he did really well at Sam Houston State. Um, and then Coach, you know, um, Coach Lou, um, you know, he was up there and, at the, you know, at UMass um, the wall and, you know, they were very, very successful. And so being, a, being able to piece that together, um, you know, I got to say shout out to my staff and, you know, shout out to admin. You know, Marvin's been very, very supportive. Um, you know, Dr. Washington has been very, very supportive. He was actually the one that hired me. Um, and so, you know, Hopefully I didn't leave anyone else off that list. <laughs> this is not a comprehensive list for anyone who didn't hear their name there. Uh just it's nice to give those guys. And a, shout out to Mark and shout out to Mark LaFrance, man. I yep. can't I can't leave out Mark for these uh these wonderful nine nine thirty um podcasts that I thought I had. <laughs> I certainly appreciate Mark. So I was going to shout him out regardless. So if he's listening to this, thank him uh, uh, for me when, when you talk to him next. Yeah, Tony, no, this no. has been great. You've been so generous with your time. I, I really appreciate you doing this. I wish you guys nothing but this uh, most success year this year and, and for all the years down the road and all us DMV fans will be uh, rooting for you guys. 
No, man, this was this was awesome, man. This is one of my probably one of my favorite interviews I've done thus far, man. You know, you Great. were um, you know, you were awesome with the questions and this was just an easy flow conversation. So I'd love to um, any other time and I'd love to uh, come back and do a show, man. I appreciate you for having me on. We will definitely take you up on that then. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. Thank you again, everybody, uh, for listening to this too. Rate, review, subscribe, all the good stuff. We're pres- uh, brought to you by betonline.ag and we will catch you all next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.